Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. And we've set up a light question for you to get started with today, which, what's something or someone you can't seem to forgive? Enjoy. There's nothing I love more than asking a question like this and either seeing horrified faces that you have to tell your deepest, darkest secret to a, a person that you've never met before. And then the other face is some of you just had that person on the tip of your tongue and you cannot wait to talk a little shit about them. So here we go. There is a place in the land that gives us all hope. We call that the United States Senate. Thank you. A lot of times we look at the federal government and we think to ourselves that it is just fate, that there is a vicious cycle, that we will never get along, there will never be unity, we will not agree, we are more polarized than ever, is there hope in this country? And then last week, the Senate passed a bill, my friends. 100% of the senators agreed in unity. Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer woke up on a morning together and said, there is no more daylight savings time. And hope was restored to the land. I think sometimes we view the world in that way that the world is somehow fate, that there are just cycles and patterns and rhythms that can never be broken. But the narrative of Scripture, even of the earliest stories in the Bible, in the book of Genesis that we're in right now, is a story where time and history is not relegated to the world of fate, that time and history is relegated to the idea of freedom that God at any moment can break in and that we as human beings made in the image of this creator can create a new path forward and that we can create a new world with one another. And so I have this big idea that I've been thinking about for today. If I were to name this sermon a book, this is what it would be, From Fate to Freedom, How Forgiveness Shapes Time. That's a lot of things for a Sunday morning and somehow I'm gonna do that in like 28 minutes, we'll see. (laughs) But this idea that fate is not something that we have to live into, that who you are as a human being today does not have to be who you will be as a human being tomorrow. And that God as a creator lives in this world of freedom and that we too can live in freedom as well. And so to talk about fate and freedom and forgiveness and time, we're gonna talk about some things. We're going to talk about a little bit of recap for the book of Genesis because we're at the end here and next week we're going into Exodus and the crowds went wild. And if we can do a recap, then we'll get into everybody's favorite Hebrew word, teshuva. Say teshuva with me, my friends. Beautiful. And if we can do teshuva, then we can do from freedom to fate. And if we can talk about how we move from freedom to fate, man, I am really... How now, brown cow? Red leather, yellow leather. Betty bought some butter, but the butter Betty bought was bitter. So Betty bought some better butter, but the bitter butter made the better butter bitter. Let's do this thing. All right, great. 
And if we can move from freedom from faith, there's a lot of alliteration there, then we can talk about how time was born. And if we can talk about time being born, then we can talk about two types of past. And if we can talk about two types of past, some more alliteration, practical practice in the present, said an evangelical pastor at some point, I'm sure. And if we can talk about that, then the golden age is not the past, but it is our future. And if we can understand the golden age as our future, then we can talk about how the last chapter has not been written. Follow along with me in Genesis chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, their father being Jacob, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Pause right there. In the story of Genesis, we are now in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Genesis chapters 20, 37 through 50 is the longest continuous narrative in the entire Torah. So what we're seeing in these stories is that Joseph is this hero in this part of the Bible. But Joseph, like any hero in the Bible and most heroes in life, come with a troubled past, that there are layers to who Joseph is and how Joseph operates in the world. Joseph, like all of us, has some family dynamics, has some social reactions, has other constructs that shapes who he is. That Joseph's dad, Jacob, is one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph was the favorite son of 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob had many different wives. That's a thing they did back in the day. And then when Jacob had many different wives, he actually married two sisters. That's weird. I always like to just point that out. Not really good for us today, and I said it last week, but Genesis is really like the Game of Thrones. So... Jacob has two wives, Leah and Rachel, because when Jacob was out there looking for a wife, he met uh, their dad, and the dad said, yep, you can marry Rachel as long as you work for me for seven years. Also strange. And so he works for him for seven years, and on the wedding night, Jacob got a little tipsy, as many of us would do on a wedding night, had a little bit too much good wine, and to his surprise, it wasn't Rachel waiting in the tent, it was Leah. Got him good. So next... (laughs) But Jacob's like, I really want to marry Rachel. So the dad says what any good dad would do. Well, you can also have Rachel if you work for me for another seven years. It's a crazy story. So Jacob does it. Now he's got both sisters. You can imagine there's a little bit of sibling rivalry happening here. There's a bit of tension happening in life. And then Joseph has some other wives, and they have all of these different sons. And it's just trying to tell us a story, right? Trying to tell us a story of the complexity and the rivalry and the tension of what is taking place in Genesis. But Jacob's favorite wife in this story, Rachel, she had two sons, one of those sons being Joseph, the other son being Benjamin. I hope you're following along with me. And if not, enjoy reading Genesis 37 through 50 on your own. And so... Joseph was one of the favorite sons, and Jacob favored him in a lot of ways that made the other sons angry at him, just like you would. If dad was always talking about the other kid, how awesome that kid was, and you're not that great, you would need to go to a therapist as well. And so dad bought Joseph a very nice coat that had a lot of different colors so that wherever Joseph went, he could say, look at me, I stand out as one of the brothers. The brothers did not like this about Joseph. So Joseph one day was out in the fields wearing his fancy coat. His brothers see him coming. They're a little bit angry and they do what any good brothers would do. As Joseph was walking up, they said, let's kill him. Okay. (laughs) 
It's an odd family dynamic that is taking place. But one of the brothers, being the thoughtful man that he was, said, well, how about we not kill him? How about we just put him in a cistern? Some of you haven't seen a lot of cisterns. Just think of like a giant jelly jar. And so Joseph is now in the giant jar, and they eventually sell him into slavery to Egypt. The story continues to get Weirder. So now Joseph is in slavery in Egypt and he does well for himself. Eventually he gets the promotion to the Walt Disney Company working for <laughs> Potiphar. Probably an exact there. And so Potiphar has a wife, and this wife has the hots for Joseph. Apparently he had good abs. And so Joseph decides not to sleep with Potiphar's wife and runs away, and then goes to jail because Potiphar's wife tells on Joseph. Joseph is now in prison, and he has a bunch of dreams about Pharaoh and the land, and he tells some people the dreams, and eventually he gets out of prison, and he makes his way all the way to Pharaoh's house, which is like the president of the land, right? The most powerful ancient civilization that we had known at the time was Egypt, and Pharaoh chooses Joseph to be the viceroy, to be the second in command of everything that he has. And then as the story goes on, eventually Joseph's brothers will make their way to Egypt because there's a famine in the land, and they'll eventually run into their brother, and obviously they're terrified because of what they did to him. And because they're terrified of what they did to him, Joseph has had a change of heart in his process, and he's gone through his own journey of transformation and forgiveness for how he sees the world and understands his siblings. And so that is the recap to you getting to the moment where Joseph wept. How many of you have just been there in life And you've done all of the hard work, you've been doing the therapy, you've been going to the life coach, you've been talking to your good friends, and you just have a moment where you can't hold it anymore and you just need a good cry. And it's healing for the soul. How many of you just need a good shower, right? Or you gotta like jump in the ocean. You just need some like water to cleanse us because life has just been too much for us. And in this moment, Joseph does something unexpected. Joseph doesn't repay evil for evil. Joseph doesn't hurt more people because we, he was hurt. We talk about that in here all of the time. Hurt people hurt people. That's just simply what we do. A better definition of sin is simply that, that when we are hurting, that when we are broken, that when we feel damaged, when we don't know how to take care of ourselves, when we haven't gone through healing and transformation, when we haven't done some work of maturity, we tend to pass on the favor to other people. But in this moment, Joseph simply weeps. And then his brothers will come to him, and the story goes on. And his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. This is a moment of repentance for the brothers who did the wrong. This is a moment of them recognizing that they had done something wrong and they're literally groveling at their brother's feet. They're not exactly apologizing like you should apologize. Have you ever been in that situation with somebody where they're apologizing to you but really telling you why you did something wrong? And you're like, that doesn't sound like an apology. This is kind of what's going on here, but it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. And the word for what they're doing here is repentance. In Hebrew, the word repentance is teshuva. And teshuva simply means to return. And quite literally in this story, in this moment, the brothers have returned. They are groveling at Joseph's feet. And what they're terrified of is that Joseph will do to them what they did. And Joseph doesn't seem to be doing that, that something has happened deep inside of Joseph where there's an unexpected narrative that's about to take place here. 
And in the world of Judaism, they would see the Genesis stories not as a story about where original sin came from, as many evangelicals would have grown up with, but they would see the Genesis stories as stories that help us understand our responsibility in the world. And so one half of our responsibility in the world is that when we wrong people or we hurt people, we have the opportunity for teshuva. We have the opportunity to return to them, to repair, to make amends, to make something right, to simply say, I'm sorry. Not everyone's always ready to receive that apology, and not not, not everyone is ready to have to deal with that apology, but you get to a place within yourself that you participate in teshuva, and the ancient Jewish idea of it is that when you participate in this type of repentance or return, it's so that you don't do it again, because selling your siblings into slavery is not a good thing. You get the story here. And there's been a lot of pain and hurt that has taken place. And so the other side of the coin is how do we move from teshuva, the people who wronged somebody, to the person who has been wronged. And this is where the story gets a little bit more interesting. And it goes on like this. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? There's something interesting that happens in the ancient world when it comes to this idea of fate, that for the rest of the ancient world, fate was simply this. You were born either as Pharaoh or you were born as a slave. You were born as Caesar or you were born as a servant. There wasn't a lot of middle ground in the ancient world. And the systems of the ancient world kept you there so that you would continue to perpetuate the systems and the rhythms and the patterns that were going on. And most people didn't challenge this because if you did challenge it, then the empire would bring down its heavy hand and it would continue into a vicious cycle of violence. But in the Genesis story, there's something that takes place where time begins to be broken. Even in our earliest story in Genesis 1, it's a story about God creating, and it's a story about human beings who are not servants and slaves of the emperors and the empires, that human beings are made good and that they're made in the image of God. We sit here in Los Angeles in 2022, and we're like, yeah, okay, that already makes sense. Imagine how revolutionary that was thousands of years ago. Imagine what a big deal it was to hear, oh, your fate in the universe is not predetermined. Maybe there's many of you that are sitting there right now today and you need to hear those words, that your fate in the universe is not predetermined. That God is participating in freedom in the creation of things. That God makes human beings in God's image, which means that they're creators. And because that we are creators, because we can participate in time with freedom just like God does, then it means that we have the ability to live today differently than we did yesterday. It means that we have the ability to live tomorrow differently than we did today. And if we have the ability to change, then the world has the ability to change. And how much do we need that narrative in the world? Because when you watch news cycles or sometimes when we follow social media, we don't necessarily believe that. We believe that these patterns are just going to keep on repeating themselves forever. And sometimes we lose hope. But the story of Genesis is no from the earliest story of Genesis all the way to the end of Genesis. It's about how God breaks into time and provides us with the opportunity for freedom. But freedom just doesn't happen by magic. The story of Genesis and of Joseph and of all of the tension in family dynamics is that freedom happens because of forgiveness. That it is forgiveness that breaks the cycles of time. We live in a world right now where there's a man named Vladimir Putin who did not participate in forgiveness. There's a world of hurt and pain where hurt people hurt people. Where we pass on the pain from previous generations or from our own life. 
And that is the story of empires. When we do not learn, when we do not find freedom, and when we do not participate in forgiveness, we will just give the world what was given to us. And if what was given to us was oppression and violence and hurt and repression, then that is the thing that we will pass on. And so what Joseph does here in a position of power is that he chooses forgiveness. He chooses forgiveness to free him in time so that he can offer a different reality for his family and for himself. When we think about forgiveness and when we think about time, I want to think about it as past and as present and as future and how time is born in a new way. Track with me here is that time, as we understand it, was born out of Judaism. All of the other time that was out there in the rest of the world, uh, again, was this cyclical version of time that kept people oppressed. It kept people just accepting the realities that were given to them. But Judaism gave us the great gift of time being freed and, and, and born. The verse goes on like this and says, that you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Actually, I think we, do we skip a verse? No, maybe not. There we go. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? No, you're right. Keep going. My apologies. Uh, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. When we think about the past, we think about the past in two separate ways. We think about the past like this. What happened, and then the significance and the meaning of what happened. Have you ever been there where something happens, and there's data points, there's facts of what happened, and then you live for a little bit of time, and the significance and the meaning of that moment changed? Have you ever been in an argument, right, and you are so certain? I cannot get into an argument with my wife, by the way, because I have no facts and data points to rest upon. I am just not wired that way. She has a way better memory than me, and up to this point in my life, I am not even sure if it's true or not, but all I know is that she just has better factual points than I do. She will remember a time. She's like, don't you remember? It was August 19, 2013. The barometric pressure was. It was 72 degrees, and you said this. And I'm like, I barely remember what I had for breakfast. So no, I do not remember that. But we reinterpret the past. There was a feeling that was carried on. There's actual facts and data points. And then there's also the significance and the meaning of what happened in those moments. And the thing about the past is that the past is closed and the future is constantly open. That we live in this world, right? We live moving towards the future, but we often live moving towards the future by looking backwards and understanding the past. That's how we interpret where we're going. What we do is we say, well, I'm going over here, but the only reason that I know where I'm going is because I'm interpreting all of the events that happened back here. And as you move and as you grow forward, as you get different jobs or have different relationships, as healing takes place within you, you begin to interpret the significance and the meaning of what happened back here in different ways. Sometimes that pain builds. Sometimes that pain builds in our bodies. Sometimes that pain is changed or reclaimed. Sometimes that pain is restored. Sometimes those events move and they change shape and the, the information that happened back there attains different significance and meaning within them. And so the story of Joseph is simply that. Something happened in the past. We went through the recap story and there was trauma that took place back there. But Joseph says, what you did, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. By the way, if anyone ever tells you that, and that's not something that you chose on your own, stay far, far away. Many of us lived in that world of Christianity where people would say crazy things like, well, sometimes God gives God's greatest test to God's greatest soldiers. Uh, uh. <laughs> no, thank you, right? 
Or you've heard lines like this, that God was doing all of this for you so that you would be healthier and stronger. You know what I want to say to God? No, thank you. That's not what I'm looking for. If you find healing and if you find transformation and if you go through maturity and you look back on your past and interpret it in a different way, that's very different. That's you, because it's your experience and it's your journey. And you might come to that conclusion that back here, I would have never wished this upon a single human being. But now, as I look back through the narratives of my life, as I see how these dots have connected, I can see how that shaped me and how I get to go heal the world now. And it's true that oftentimes our greatest pain points, the most difficult moments in our life, gives us the ability to heal people in the same journey. It's why 12-step groups work. That if you're an alcoholic or have substance abuse issues or sex addiction or whatever the thing may be, you get to walk into a room and there's no explanation needed. That the thing that maybe has harmed you the most, and even maybe that you participated in that has harmed others the most, is now the thing that in a most fascinating way will be the thing that maybe provides the most healing in the world through your narrative. And that's the story of Joseph. He's not trying to write this off. He's not trying to co-sign in somebody else's BS. He's not just trying to make this try or dismiss what took place that was incredibly painful. He's gone through a journey of forgiveness, and because he's gone through a journey of forgiveness, he now has the opportunity to see the past in a different way, and that changes the opportunity to see the present and the future in a different way. We are all on our own journeys there. It will take us time as we encounter real trauma and real pain. And some of the story of that for each of us is that you might get to a point where you experience forgiveness in the past. Your family may have done traumatic things to you or your friends or your relationships. And this is not one of those sermons of, and now when you're healed, walk right back into the lion's den and let them hurt you again. No! Set up boundaries. Take care of yourself. Do smart things. But you are practicing forgiveness, not even necessarily for them, but for you so that you can live into the present and the future in a different way, so that you don't have to be caught in patterns and cycles and rhythms, and you don't have to live in the world of fate, but so that you can live into a world of freedom. And so Joseph has a different understanding and finds different significance for what the past is. And as Joseph moves from the past, he moves to this idea of a practical practical practice for the present, and the story goes like this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And then the next verse. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The practice that Joseph has moving into the present is that Joseph is practiced this idea of forgiveness. And Joseph has reinterpreted the narrative now so that he can live into the present in a different way. And I was living into the present in a different way as he's saying, what happened back there was for harm, but now God's going to use it to save many different lives. The word save in the Bible a lot of times is the same word for healing. That when you read the stories of Jesus, when it says that Jesus saved somebody, a lot of times that Greek word there is also the word for healing. What if Jesus was going around and healing? That when we go around and heal, it feels much more practical than when we go around and save because that's weird. No one ever like waited for you today to like knock on their door and give them a tract. That's an awful thing to do to somebody, right? And so we often grew up in a world where we talked about salvation in this conceptual way and it wasn't really practical to where people were. I used to love this phrase uh, from my evangelical days is that you were so heavenly minded that you were no earthly good. That you were so, yeah, get the giggles in because it's real. That we were so often focused 
on some version of salvation that got people out of this wretched world and off to a place of heaven that we didn't take care of their practical needs now. And the world of church is currently going through a reformation where people will no longer accept that reality anymore. That if we are the people of Jesus, that if we are following this way of God, then the work that we do, the kingdom that we're participating in, is a kingdom that is making the difference in people's lives, including our own life, now. And it's practical. And so when Joseph talks about practically helping his brothers, he's doing things like feeding them because there's a famine going on. He's doing a thing like caring for them and repairing for them because that's what they need in their life now. That when we think about how we might participate in the present moment, the question for ourselves always should be, are we practically participating in the present moment? There was a story that happened in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, or the the Washington Post, and it was beautiful. And the story in the Washington Post said that in, in World War II, during the Holocaust, there was a Ukrainian family that took in a Jewish family, and that for the entirety of the war kept this Jewish family safe from the Holocaust and from the Nazis. And in the 90s, as this family, you know, the, the World War II had ended and the Jewish family had moved on and the little girl in that story was now a grandma. And in the 90s, because of the internet, uh, the families were able to reconnect again. And so the great-grandchildren of the Ukrainian family and the grandchild, right, the, the, the grandmother who was Jewish, they ended up meeting one another and they got to share stories just about what it was like that this family practically sacrificed in such a way to save their family, even to the detriment of their own lives. And then at the beginning of the war between Russia and Ukraine, that same family who was in Israel, that they were saved 90 years ago by this Ukrainian family, they reached out to them and said, we would love to offer up our home for you through the entirety of this war. Because we would have never had a future if you didn't make that choice in the past. And so they tried doing all of the things, and there was bureaucratic red tape in Israel that was going on. And so they kept practically choosing a path forward. They eventually got news uh, involved in it. They put it on social media. They got to the right people, and they cleared all of the bureaucratic red tape up. And now that family from Ukraine is living with this family in Israel. That the story is that we would never wish what happened back here on anybody. We would never dream of having that story affect anyone else, but it did happen. And as we heal and as we transform, practically we're going to live into the present in a different way. That of course, because you saved our family 90 years ago, we're going to have the ability now to help save your family today. And the salvation that is taking place here is not some ethereal view about getting people to heaven one day. It's about practically helping real people in the real world, and of course it's going to cost you something. That when we forgive, that when we participate in time, that when we participate in experiencing freedom, that of course at times as we live into this type of forgiveness, it's going to cost us something in a different way. And so we think about the past and we think about the present and then we eventually move into the future. And for Joseph here, it's a story where he's reassuring them about the future. I will take care of all of your needs. And the story is beautiful when it comes to forgiveness because it's simply this. That as you go through this process of transformation, as you go through this process of forgiving others, as you free yourself from fate, from the bondage of time, that things have to repeat in a certain way, you give yourself the opportunity for a different future to be created. 
And for Joseph, it was, now I have some different opportunities. Now I'm second in command in Egypt. Now I've got all the resources at my disposal. And regardless of what your circumstance in life is, an invitation to say, and now I can choose to speak about the future in a different way. Because there's none of us out there that want a future where we've been hurt, where the thing that we want to say to other people is, I cannot wait to hurt you. That's not what we want. When we're in the moment and we have to react and we're in pain, we often do that. But if we're visualizing and dreaming and imagining a better world, that is not the story that we tell ourselves. And so the way that Joseph participates in time is practicing a reality of forgiveness so that when the future does come, that he has the ability to heal and to care for his family in a practical way. And that we have an opportunity to write the story of our own lives differently. That after this, how the story will go on is that Joseph will end up dying. But here's how Genesis ends. If you remember the beginning of Genesis, it's all of these promises by God. That I'm, I promise that you'll have endless children, right? And I promise that you'll be in this land of Israel. And here at the end of Genesis, they're not in the land. That the promises haven't come fully true. And it's kind of a weird story to end on. That you're ending, right, in another country and all the things that God told you haven't come about yet. But the Jews tell the story in this way. Because they haven't forgotten their perspective of the world. That when you live from a marginalized perspective, you often are healthier people of faith than when you live from a perspective of power. And the story is this. The story is unwritten. History is yet to be determined. We might be in another land, but we still have the ability to write the story of the promised land ahead. That the invitation for us is the future could be different if we would participate in forgiveness in a different way. And so New Abbey... May you this week participate in forgiveness in new ways. Would you trust that God is working in your past? That whatever the data points are and whatever the information, would you trust that there can be new significance and new meaning, that what has happened back here can be healed, that it can be transformed, that it can be matured, but when you're ready, that nobody will force you into that? Would you trust that God's spirit will be with you the entire way? Would you trust in the story of Jesus and the way of Jesus? That there are times when you're not ready to forgive, when you don't have the ability to, and the way of Jesus is that Jesus forgives for us, holds that pain for us. The story of Lent that we're participating in as we go towards Easter is that Jesus takes on the suffering of the world so that we don't transmit this pain forward anymore. And that's what resurrection is that when we go through the pain and when we find healing from it and when we don't pass it on, then our pain can be transformed and we have a different way of living into the world. Would you trust that today can be a new day? That you don't have to live with the rhythms or the patterns that aren't working for you? Would you trust that you're not caught up in some world of fate? Would you trust that today you can make new choices and have new opportunities that shape who you're gonna be as a human being? And Abby, may you believe that the future is yet unwritten, but that together as we find healing, as we find transformation, as we live into this way of Jesus, that the world too can be a different place because of the work of healing that we're doing here with one another. Would you find those same three or four or five people and answer this question with one another? How can your forgiveness lead to freedom in your life? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.